All right. We had an amazing yes, uh, Saturday with the women yesterday. We're, we had about 250 women that were fed, and um, God got to love on his women yesterday. It was so beautiful. Next Saturday, guys, the, the Lord has given me a message for men called uh, Three Marks of a Man of Strength. I am urging you men to come out. I'm urging you to not be outdone by the women. Um, it's going to be a great Saturday, and I am so excited about what God has for us. Um, could we stand again? I'm sorry, but in honor of God's word. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 17. I'm going to warn you, this is going to be our same text next Sunday. I'm going to read the whole thing today, and I'm only going to cover half of it. I just realized, actually, this morning, <laughs> this is two messages. This is not one message. So here we go. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and then both are preserved. Could we pray, please? Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word to us individually. Thank you to your word over this church. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please hide me so that we can hear you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so the title of the message is Come As You Are and... Maybe you have noticed on the sign, it says City Church, and underneath it says, come as you are. This is the first value of this church. On our website, it's, you go to City Church, and there it is, come as you are. And so over these next four Sundays, I will be hitting on the four values of City Church, starting today with Come as you are. First, I want you to consider 
God's grace that comes and visits us where we are. Jesus comes to Matthew. Matthew is sitting at his tax collector's booth. To grab a hold of this, you gotta, you gotta understand a little about how the Roman Empire worked and what Israel's part in it was. They were, Israel had become part of the Roman Empire and so they had to pay their taxes to Rome. The way Rome did it is they hired Jews and they gave a set amount to these Jews and then said, whatever you get over and above those taxes, that's your pay. You, you choose your pay. And so these guys are like authorized KGB IRS guys. They, they are like the legal mafia. <laughs> they are controlling. If they want to bankrupt somebody, they can just charge them what they want to charge them and get their property. And so these guys are, these guys are working out of, the only reason you would even take this position because it sets you at odds with your own people is that money is more important than relationship. That stuff is more important than people. And so these became very hated people and the corruption uh, was well known that their their wealth was built on the backs of their people. So the the tax collectors were apart from all the rest of the Jewish community. And Jesus comes to Matthew's booth. Matthew is in the process of doing business. He is in the process of his corrupt ongoing control, fear, greed. He is in the middle of his sin. And Jesus comes and visits him right there and looks him in the eyes and says, come, come and follow me. This is the grace of God that comes to people right in the midst of their sin, their mess, their drug use, their alcohol use, and he looks them right in the eyes, right in the midst of their greed, their corruption, their plans for evil, and he shows up, and he looks into our eyes and says, come, come, follow me. I've got something better for you than this. Come and follow me. And Matthew I, it was probably in shock. He probably looked behind him. Who are you talking to? And when he realized it was him, he just got up and left everything and followed him. Have you ever thought of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? Have you ever thought of the fact that it's not, this is a woman that has committed adultery in the past. She's, she was caught in the, she's right in the midst of her lifestyle. And she's brought to Jesus. And with great tenderness, Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you, go. Go. 
Go now. Go now and sin no more. I've got something better for you. Have you ever thought of the woman at the well? Not only has she had five divorces, but she is now living with somebody. She's not, it wasn't that she lived with somebody for a while. She is living an active life of immorality in a very religious context. And Jesus comes to her in the midst. And he looks past all of the stuff, all of the present stuff. And he looks to something deeper and says, if you knew who I was and what the gift of God is, you'd ask me and I'd give you the living water that would satisfy, the water you've been looking for your whole life. I have that water. Jesus comes to us just as we are and says, I love you. I am not just God, I am God's gift to the human race. I am what you're looking for. I, even though you don't know it, I am what you have been looking for. I am, I am the one that nothing else has been able to take that place. I have living water for you. So one of my brothers, my older brother, he... Uh, Him, him and I, ever since I became a Christian, him and I have been in, in odds on Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. And, um, and we're good friends, but we are very much at odds. And he, he, he loves to get a stir out of me. He, he loves to, to, to rile me up. And so he's giving me a ride to basketball or wherever, football, wherever we're, we're going. We do a lot together and and he starts talking about Christian talk radio. He's like, well, I've been listening to Christian talk radio. And the first question, Mike, why are you listening to Christian talk radio? I mean, and he's like, he's like these, he said, these guys are mean. They're, they're, they're mean to immigrants. They're mean to the poor. They're, they're mean-spirited. And he, he gives me, just, just these Christians are mean. And he, so he's trying to get me going. Has anybody got anybody like that in your life? They just, they just want to, they want to poke you and just see what's going to happen. And, and, uh, these people are, are mean. I said, well, Mike, I said, uh, you know, this might be interesting to you, Mike. I said, in this one thing, you and Jesus have something in common. I said, I said, the people that Jesus rebuked the hardest were not the rank sinners. It was those that were the Pharisees that were calling him Lord, but were mean <laughs> and were just hard. I said, you and Jesus are in agreement on this, bro. Good for you. Jesus had something 
with the Pharisees. And just so the, we don't think that the Pharisees are somebody out there, just there's a little Pharisee that lives in all of us. And Jesus says to them, this is the first of many times that he confronts them. He says, go and learn what this means. Make a study of this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. They were convinced because of their sacrifices and their devotion to the law that they were automatically pleasing to God. And Jesus tells them in Matthew 23, you you, you do the outward things, but you've neglected the inside. You've neglected mercy and justice and the love of God. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. My oh my, if there's ever been a message for today, it's this message. That God is desiring us to look at each other with mercy in our eyes instead of judgment. What does that look like? Well, let's, let's, let's look at a few of these encounters with the Pharisees. One of them is the very story I just referenced about the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's the Pharisees that have thrown this woman and they, they remind Jesus of what the law says. The law says that she needs to be stoned. Never mind the fact that they didn't bother to bring the man there because they were both supposed to be stoned, the man and the woman. They only brought the woman. So this really isn't about justice for them. This is about a test for Jesus. This is what the law says. What do you say? And Jesus says this, whoever hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. They've all got stones in their hands. They're all waiting just for the release to to take her out. Whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. And it says they began to leave, starting with the oldest first. (laughs) Boom. So start with your sin. Don't start with their sin. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry and he, 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 he quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's anointed me to open up prison doors and to, to give sight to, to blind eyes and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he, he, he closed up the, the, the scroll and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus came the first time to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
Second time, the, the rest of Isaiah 61, he will come to bring the, the vengeance of our God. He will bring justice. He will come like a lion the second time. He came like a lamb the first time. This is the time we're in now. The favorable year of the Lord. Doesn't that sound great? The favorable year of the Lord. Every Jew sitting there knew exactly what that meant. That was, that was the year of Jubilee. That was the year where everybody got a new beginning. All debts were forgiven. All slaves were freed. So my question is this. Why is he preaching only to the poor? Why is his message only to the poor? Here's why. The year of Jubilee was a bad year for the rich. In the year of Jubilee, they lost all their slaves. They had to give back all the property. They had to give back everything and give a new beginning. So the poor, this is an amazing year. I get a new start with no, no failure in it, no debt in it, no, I, I, get, I get my freedom. But for the rich, they have to give freedom. See, the gospel doesn't work for the self-righteous. For those who are rich in spirit and are sure they are righteous and they are good because they're better than other people, gospel, gospel doesn't work. Why? Because to walk in God's favor, you can't just have a new beginning. You have to give a new beginning. I I don't care how strong of a believer you are. This is this morning's one-year Bible reading. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And in case we didn't get it, when the prayers ended, Jesus summarizes and says, if you don't forgive people, the Father won't forgive you. If you're going to walk in God's favor, if you're going to have the favorable year of the Lord real for you, we have to forgive. We have to forgive. Pastor Tom, I don't know how to forgive. Here's how. Start with your sins against God. Don't start with people's sins against you. Start with your sins against God. Start, don't start with your injustices. Start with the injustice that Jesus died on a cross for you. That's the greatest injustice. Start there. And as you think of your sins, and you think, well, I, you know, I can't really think of my sins. Okay, now we've got pride to work with. We've got pride and arrogance to work with. That's, that's, a, that's an underneath sin, isn't it? You can clean the outside of the cup and feel like I'm, I'm more righteous than other people. No, no, no. No, you just gotta go a little deeper. Let, let us help you go a little deeper. And realize that Jesus died for me. Jesus died in my place. And it will, it, it'll get that stone out of your hand, that judgment that's so easy to make on Facebook, that anger that's so, that opinion that is so harshly expressed, get that stone out of your hand. Let's get back in God's favor, folks. Let's, let's live in the favor of God. I didn't, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for self-righteous. Self-righteous are blinded by the gospel. They don't even get it. I came for sinners. Then he has another encounter with them, probably the most famous encounter 
in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son and, and we have the, the Pharisees are gathered and the corrupt sinners and the Pharisees are grumbling about, this is verse one, they're grumbling about him being the friend of sinners. And Jesus, Jesus gives three stories. as he speaks to the rank sinners and to the Pharisees. And here are the three stories that he tells. First one is about a, a shepherd that has a has hundred sheep and one is lost. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes looking for the one that's lost. And the second story is about a woman who's got 10 precious coins, but one of them is lost. So she leaves the nine coins and she goes looking for the one. And the third story is about a son that is lost. And what strikes us about the third story, this is Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God, and he talks about this. He said what strikes us about the third story is something is lost, but there's no one looking for it. There's no one looking. The first two stories are all about somebody's out there looking for the one that's lost. But in the third story, something's lost, but no one is out looking. And we come back and we get to the house and we we find out what's going on. The Pharisees are depicted by the older brother and the older brother in this story is the one that didn't go off into sin and, and, and he says, I have kept all of your commands. I have served you day and night. I have made sacrifice for you. And yet, when this prodigal comes home, you welcome him and you throw a party and, and he's just filled with his own, how wrong this is that the father would do this for the prodigal. And he's just, he's angry at the prodigal. This isn't what he deserves. He deserves to be banished forever. And what Tim Keller says, the prodigal God, is he says, There's a second older brother in Luke 15. And it's the the one telling the story. Jesus is called, referenced as our older brother in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is our older brother. And he was very safe. He was in heaven. He was filled with glory around him and angels serving him. And there was a sheep lost. You. Me. It turns out there were like seven billion sheep lost. (laughs) The reason why he says one is because he would do it for one. This is who we are to him. I don't, I can't, you can't comprehend it. But he left the safety of the father's house. And he came down. You know the story we just celebrated. Born of poor parents, born in a manger, born in a stable, growing up under Roman oppression. The whole story, falsely accused, died on the cross. Why? 
to find us. To find us. The one that is supposed to be out looking is at home angry. So what does that have to do with City Church? Everything, absolutely everything. When people come to this church, who are they gonna find here? Are they gonna find the older brother here? Are they gonna find people that are angry at sinners, angry, angry that they sin so much, angry that they're ruining America, angry that they're, they're, they're this, they're that, and, and, and or, or are they going to find the heart of Jesus here? Fact is, the way they come to this building will probably not be because we have a sign up there that says, come as you are. The world doesn't trust our signs, folks. They don't care what the church says about itself. The reason why they'll come here is probably because we, like Jesus, went out. (laughs) We went out and we loved them even while they were still sinning. We loved them even while they were angry. We loved them even while they were liberal or whatever it is that you feel like is, is, is sin. And you go right to them in the midst of whatever it is, whatever crisis it is. And how many know the people usually come to you when it's a crisis? They usually don't come to you when they're having fun and they've got their stuff. They usually come to you when all that stuff isn't working. How many know God's faithful to make sure that everybody comes to that point where their life isn't working without him? He's very faithful. So you don't have to be, well, they are just having such a great life. They'll never come to God. No, don't worry. Just let them take another lap around life. (laughs) Just go ahead and let them. They're not ready. Yeah, they don't want to talk now. That's okay. Let them take another lap. They'll get there. They'll get there. And when they get there, they're going to they're gonna want somebody that they know they are accepted by that also has something different than what they have because they know what they have doesn't work. They actually want somebody that's got something different, which is why they'll poke you. They want to know, are you really different? Are you really different? So we got to decide individually and as a church. It it would be way better to not have that sign, seriously, than to have that sign and then they come in here and find the older brother waiting for them that's angry at them. (laughs) So my vote is let's keep that sign up and let's just learn what it means to be merciful. Let's be a merciful people. Let's be, let's, people have got all of these prejudices and my, my brother's got all these things of what a Christian is. I just want to disarm that thing. Come, Come as you are. Point two, my last point. Grace enables us to own our disease and God's solution. 
I want, I want to, you to picture yourself at this party. So Matthew has this party, and he's got all of these tax collectors and then other overt sinners. His whole group is sinners. I mean, people that are overtly in sin. And so he's having this party at his house. Jesus comes, and now there's not one Matthew. There is a whole house full of Matthews. And Jesus is right in the midst of them. And the Pharisees come. Maybe they're standing at the doorway. We don't know exactly what they are, but they are, they are upset that a man of God supposedly is eating with sinners. And Jesus looks at them and says this, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come for the healthy but I came for those who are sick. And here's, here's what just makes me laugh. Because I think of Matthew and his friends, and they're just, they're starting out by like, yeah, Jesus has given it to the religious people. I love this. I love Jesus. Give it to him, Jesus. Go for it, Jesus. And then they're like, hey, who's he calling sick? What, what did he say? Exactly what did he say? Did he say we're sick? Yeah, that's, that's what he said. That's exactly what he said. It is the grace of God that helps us own our sickness. The human race has a sickness called sin. And it's fatal. It will kill us. The wages of sin is death. We have a fatal disease called sin. It is, it is a very, very serious problem. The second verse of Amazing Grace says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." You, you, you can't get better without owning your sickness. It's impossible to get better without owning your sin and your sickness. And a false di diagnosis will kill you. In the early 90s, um, my dad was having indigestion problems. And it was, it was bad, and he was eating whole boxes of Tums every day to try to get over it. And um, how many know that men don't like going to the doctor? <laughs> men just, uh, for whatever reason, just anything but having to go to the doctor and have some get undressed and have them do stuff, it's just bad, just bad. <laughs> But my dad finally went. He finally, he finally went to the doctor because he just couldn't get better. And they looked at him. They looked him over and, and said, yep, you've got some type of an indigestion problem. And we're just going to give you a little something stronger than Tums for your indigestion. Well, it wasn't an indigestion problem. It turned out months, months later, it was prostate cancer. And by the time another physician looked at him, it was over. It, he was filled with cancer. His, they said his brain was like Swiss cheese. 
tragic because if they had caught it earlier, he could have lived another 30 years. How bad is our problem? Well, it it took the cross to solve our problem. The diagnosis over the human race was so bad that it was going to take Jesus dying on the cross and then applying surgery to every single sinner. Jesus actually asked the Father, is there a less invasive way we could do this? (laughs) He asked in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, all things are possible to you, but let this cup pass for me if possible. If there's another way to solve this problem, if there is another way that, that they can get better without me having to go to the cross and dying in their place. Please let this cup pass me, but never, not my will, your will be done. And there was no other way. There was no other way for you and I to be saved from our sins except for Jesus to dying on that cross. This is the gospel. But let me read to you Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, maybe we'll have it up here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. What the gospel does is it reveals a different righteousness. It's not man's righteousness. It's not man's religion, man's goodness, man doing enough. That righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Another righteousness has been revealed by God, and that is the righteousness of his son. And Jesus came not to not to take away the law, but to fulfill the law. He fulfilled every letter that the law required, not just outward, but inward, as only God could. And then he died in my place and in your place so that he could give that righteousness, that right standing with God to us as a gift. The grace of God comes to us right where we are, right in the midst of our stuff. And then the grace of God enables us to own that we need a Savior. And it's the grace of God that helps us to own God's solution, which is Jesus dying for me. Jesus died to make you right with God, to give us a relationship with God not based on fear and guilt and shame and performance where you're always struggling, trying harder, try harder, try harder. No, he broke that through the cross. The way righteousness comes now is by a gift where he makes us right when we believe, when we believe on Jesus. 
the Christian life starts with faith, and then those who are righteous, who have been made righteous by faith, now live by faith. You don't go back to works. You don't go back to man's right. This is all about the grace of God helping us to own our sin and then owns, own God's solution, which is the cross. So I've got two, two things I want to pray for today. And the first one, if we could just have every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you are here today and God's made it very clear. Not just that you're a sinner, but that your being a sinner has not disqualified you. That he's come to you right in the midst of your own darkness, right in the midst of your own stuff, right in the midst of your own inability to save yourself. Maybe it was last night (laughs) you sinned. Maybe it was this morning that you sinned. And you still came to church. Maybe, why do people come to church when they're in the midst? Try to work it off. Try to, maybe that will compensate. And, and Jesus has another solution. Hear these words. I love you. I died for you. If that is you, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. This is why he came. I have every eye closed because this is between you and God. This is very private. The reason why I have people raise their hands is because I like to lead a prayer to help you with the words to open your own door. Jesus will only knock. He won't crash the door down. So if that's you today, you don't even know how, but you are aware. Jesus is knocking. Jesus is getting your attention. Something is speaking to you right now and you want to respond. You want to open that door. Would you just raise your hand right now real high, long enough for me to see it? See that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got you, bro. Anybody else? I got that hand in the back. Thank you. God bless you. With those that, I got you right here too. Thank you, bro. I got you down here. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Could everybody that raised their hand just slip your hand over your heart right now and I'm, I'm just gonna lead a prayer. You pray it in your own way to, to Jesus. Lord, thank you for knocking on my heart. Thank you for getting my attention. Lord, I am sick and it's very serious. It, it is beyond my ability to make right. It is about, it's beyond my religion, my good works, my, any, my effort. It took you dying for me on the cross. There was no other way except that you would die in my place. Lord, I embrace, I embrace that solution, that ultimate solution. I open the door of my life and my heart right now by faith and say, Jesus, come in and save me. I give you my religion. I give you my performance. I give you my guilt and my shame and my fear. And I give you my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me your own, I ask. I receive your mercy in Jesus' name.
Amen. And then could we stand to our feet? So here's what the Lord uh, spoke to me this week about this coming week of fasting and prayer. (laughs) You know what? I'm just going to read this to you. That way I won't describe what it says and then read it to you as well. So here we go. This was my devotional this week. This kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. Mark 9, 29. The disciples were facing a level of darkness that was going to take another level of intimacy with God to remove. I believe we're living in an hour where great oppression is on many of the people all around us. God is desiring more than our freedom. He wants to make us freedom fighters for the people we interact with every day. I am calling all of City Church to join me next week in fasting and prayer. The first priority is our own freedom. In fact, getting free from our own idols, addictions, and burdens is the training required to set others free who are under similar oppression. God is asking, who will go for me? The essence of fasting is letting go of the temporal, and the essence of prayer is laying hold of the eternal. Will you let go of something temporal next week? and lay hold of the eternal by coming to these special prayer meetings? Will you lead your family and ask them to find out what God would have them let go of for a week so they too can lay hold of the eternal in a new way? God is calling some of us to not eat or watch any media next week so we can be fully present for prayer. But each of us will be invited in a different way. And all of them will be pleasing to God. For some, God will ask you to leave your phone at home all week and only check it once a day. You might reply, well, I'm certainly not enslaved to my phone, am I? Why, why not prove you're not by leaving it at home and coming out to the prayer meetings to find even greater freedom in Jesus? For others, God will ask you to turn off the TV and Facebook for a week and use the time it opens to come to the prayer meetings. I don't think I could do that, you might think to yourself. The very thought is proof that you must do it. Jesus wants us free. So if something has become that addictive, it's an idol he wants to break. Some families may choose to skip their evening meal and come to the prayer meetings instead. You could still have a snack after the prayer meeting, but hopefully something that won't require any time, anyone time to prepare. Sometimes the darkness facing us requires us to do radical things so God can use us to set others free. I am asking seniors families, young adults, teenagers, and everyone in between to go before God and ask him your part. I believe God is raising up an army in this hour. People who love Jesus more than food, Facebook, and their own free time. People who are willing to ask the same question the disciples asked Jesus in Mark 9. Why couldn't we set this boy free? The answer today is the same as it was then. This kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. Okay, so that's a strong word about coming out next week. This prophecy was given me this morning. This is a more gracious way of saying the same thing. Beloved, see how it starts even nice? 
2018 is a year that I will be releasing upgrades. Upgrades in faith. Upgrades in your trust in me. Upgrades in peace. Upgrades in joy. Upgrades in your understanding of me. Upgrades in relationship. Upgrades in almost every area of your lives. Just as with your electronic devices, when an upgrade is released, you decide when and if to apply it. Be watchful for upgrades and be diligent and intentional to receive them into your life. This calls for wisdom because sometimes upgrades come wrapped in what appears to be a challenge. Look for and expect the upgrade. I am good and I love you with a father's heart that you can trust for good. Isn't that way more positive than the first one? Could we pray together? Lord, all, all I am is a voice. This is your church, not mine. These are your people, not mine. Lord, you, you, you love us, but you're not just seeing us. You're already seeing the next thousand people that are going to come to this church, and they're way more bound than this thousand. Somebody's going to have to set them free. Somebody's going to have to have the mercy of God flowing in them. Somebody's going to have that intimacy with God that, that requires just a little more than we currently have. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak into our comfortable American life? Would you speak into our entertainment and the thousand ways we distract ourselves? Would you speak and would you, would you say with a smile on your face, come on higher. Come on, come on. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. Yeah, leave that behind for five days. It's not going to kill you. Well, it might kill you. It might kill part of you that I want killed. Come and experience an upgrade. Come, make 2018 more than what 2017 was. And so, Father, I just, we just want to say yes to you. Lord, there's nothing too small to give up. So I pray pray for any false condemnation or anybody trying to be a hero next week. We don't need heroes. We just need, just obey whatever God's asking you to let go of. And then grab a hold of the eternal. Father, I pray for Monday through Friday this week. Fill this place with your people saying, Lord, we're here for you. We're not good at it, but we're we're present. Now, God, if you got something, let's do this together. Lord, we don't want to take that sign down that says, come as you are. (laughs) We, this is what the world needs. The world thinks God's against them. Lord, you are for us. Help us be your welcome to a world in darkness, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a good day.